You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Uh, If I have not had the chance to meet you before, my name is Taylor Schombert, and I have the pleasure of serving on staff here as our student director. And so maybe you've seen online, or maybe you've just heard the rumors about this man called the Hot Dog Man. Uh, Well, that's me. Uh, We had a hot dog summer uh, the past couple months with our student ministry, uh, but I am excited specifically to just be here with you this morning, uh, opening God's Word, seeing what He has for us today. Well, around Midtown, we have this saying, you've probably heard it before, it's ordinary is not insignificant. Now, we often use this phrase to talk about a normal Sunday morning gathering that's like every other Sunday morning gathering, to talk about a life group that's maybe not particularly impactful. It's just like every other life group. And we believe that these events in the life of our church are not insignificant, but rather that God actually moves through them. He uses the ordinary things in our life to change us. And so what I want to look at today in our passage is the fact that even in our very lives, the ordinary events that go throughout our day are not insignificant. And I think the way that you and I, we typically experience ordinariness is through routine, right? Maybe you're like me, and each morning you wake up at 6 a.m., you hit snooze at least once, you get up and you do a devotional, you work out maybe, you eat some breakfast, and then you head off to work, and you interact with the same people that you interacted with the day before, and you do the same task that you did the day before, and you eat lunch, and you do more tasks, and you interact with more people, and then you head home from work, you make dinner for yourself, you maybe watch an episode or two of TV, you fill up the last hour or two of your day with something, and then you go to bed, and then you do it all again the next day. And so I've been around Lexington long enough to know that if that's my kind of routine as a 27-year-old single male, that whenever you throw a spouse and you throw kids in the mix, you get a little bit more routine in your day, don't you, right? Especially once those kids start doing some extracurriculars. They start doing ballet, they start doing t-ball, and then that uh, little tiny bit of time after work, that free time that you had to yourself, starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking because you're running to practice, you're running to Chick-fil-A, and then you're running home, and you're just doing it all over again every other day, day after day. It's ordinary. It's typical, it's routine, it's a pattern. And I think that in the day-to-day grind, we can lose sight of the fact that our life has purpose, that the Lord is working in our midst, even in routine, even in ordinary. Because sometimes it feels like we're just going through the motions. But what I want us to see today in Acts chapter 11 is that our passage refutes the lie that ordinary is insignificant. And it reminds us that, in fact, God can use the ordinary to do something extraordinary. And so in Acts 11, 19 through 30, uh, we're going to read that scripture here in just a minute. So if you have your Bible, you can flip on back there. But we read these three first verses from Acts 11, and we are told about this church in a place called Antioch. Now, from our study in the book of Acts up until this point, I bet you would imagine, okay, there's a new church on the scene. I wonder if John planted this church, right? The Apostle John. Maybe the Apostle Peter traveled to Antioch. Saul, we learned about him a couple weeks ago. Is he back on the scene? I remember from Sunday school, he was pretty important. 
But here in these first couple verses, we actually realize that none of these people started this church in Antioch. Rather, the Bible uses three words to describe the people who began this church. Some of them. They were ordinary, nameless followers of Jesus who were going about their ordinary day, going to their ordinary work, doing their ordinary jobs, and God did something extraordinary through them. Because you see, I believe that you and I, we may not be the apostle Peter. We may not be the apostle Paul. In fact, the odds are pretty against it that we're gonna be that used by God in this generation. But you know what I believe you and I can be? We can be some of them. We can allow God to come and to invade our everyday lives and to do something extraordinary through us. So if you have your Bible, flip back open to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, 19 through 30. Gonna read a little bit more extended than what we just read. Starting in verse 19, the scripture says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. Now this took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so. So what then did these ordinary followers of Jesus do in Antioch? How are they part of such a significant move of God? What lessons can you and I learn from some of them? Three takeaways for today. We'll move through them quickly. Takeaway number one is this. Some of them took the mission of God personally. Up until this point in our study of Acts, right, we have mainly been following the apostles and the church of Jerusalem. It's every story has basically been the church in Jerusalem did this, the church in Jerusalem did that. Here's what Philip did. Here's what Peter did. Here's what Stephen did. But here in Acts chapter 11, the church is beginning to spread beyond the borders of Israel. It's beginning to uh, move out from Jerusalem. We are seeing actually the fulfillment of what Jesus foretold and told his disciples to do in Acts 1 verse 8. Acts 1.8 says this, it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here in Acts chapter 11, we see that this is finally starting to take place. Because in verse 19, we actually see this word to describe these people who have come to Antioch. It says that they were scattered. It says that they were scattered in verse 19. Now, this is referring back to something that we saw uh, back in the spring, which uh, was in Acts 8, verse 1. Acts verse 8, verse 1 tells us this. It says, And Saul approved of his, his being Stephen, approved of Stephen's execution, 
And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So after the killing of Stephen, what the church does is it scatters. In 8.1, we see that it scattered to Judea and Samaria, exactly where Jesus told us in 1.8 that it would scatter to. And then here, we pick up that same word, scattered, again, and now we see that they are scattered to the ends of the earth. They are outside of even now Judea and Samaria, and they are moving around the world. And notice this, the end of 8.1 says, the scattered? were believers except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They did not move out to Judea and Samaria. They did not move out to Cyprus and Cyrene. They did not move out to Antioch. They stayed in Jerusalem. And so we know for a fact that these believers who are in Antioch are not the 12 disciples. They are nameless followers of Jesus. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that they were scattered, right? Now, scattered doesn't sound very purposeful, does it? It sounds like they just kind of ended up there. But I want you to know this, that though these believers may not have ended up in Antioch on purpose, God still had a purpose for them. Show of hands in the room real quick. How many of you guys are Lexington born and raised? Anybody here born in Lexington, been in Lexington their whole lives? A couple of us? All right, you can put your hands down. Now, raise your hand if you moved to Lexington from anywhere else, around the state, from Columbia. Yeah, most of us in the room, right? A lot of us moved here from other places. And so maybe like the believers who were scattered to Antioch, uh, we just kind of maybe ended up in Lexington. Maybe uh, you moved here for college, you moved to uh, go to U of SC, and then you just kind of moved out to Lexington, or maybe like me, you moved here for a job. I don't know the reason of why you're here in Lexington, but I do know this. I know God has a purpose for you here that just like the believers in Antioch, that God has you here for a reason. Maybe for you it's less, okay, uh, I'm here in Lexington, I'm not really seeing what God has for me here, but maybe it's the stage of life that you're in, right? I'm kind of the outlier here at our church. A lot of you guys are married and have kids uh, and are getting a little bit older into your 30s. Um, (laughs) You like that, you like that? And so I've heard, I have not experienced that, that whenever you start to get into your 30s, that there's something called the midlife malaise that can begin to hit, right? And the midlife malaise is when life just starts to get repetitive, patternful, ordinary. You thought maybe in your 20s that you're going to see the world. You're going to move to Charleston. You're going to move to Greenville. You're going to do so many cool things. But now, see the world. That's it, man. Charleston's the world. (laughs) But now you're here in Lexington and you love it here, just like I love it here. But you kind of maybe realize of, oh my goodness, this isn't the life that I had planned for myself, right? Uh, I was single in my 20s and having fun. I just got married. We were going to go do so much stuff. And now I'm knee deep in diapers. And this wasn't necessarily how I planned for this to go. And maybe you may be wondering, what is my purpose now? I'm just a stay-at-home wife. I'm just a dad with three kids. What does it look like to serve Jesus in this suburban life? What does it look like to be used by God now? And so what I want us to see here is that some of them here in Antioch, they did not let where life took them derail what God could do through them. They did not allow the randomness of the situation deter them from taking the mission of God personally, even in the midst of their ordinary day-to-day lives. 
And I believe that you and I, that we can do that very same thing. So I don't know why you're here in Lexington. I don't know how you feel about your current stage of life, but I do know that God can use you to fulfill his mission. You simply have to be like some of them and take the mission of God personally. Well then, Taylor, how do we do this? You're talking a lot about taking the mission of God personally. Well, let's look at how uh, the church in Antioch did it. In verse 20, it says this. It says, they spoke. You and I, we take the mission of God personally by speaking. Speaking about what? Speaking about the Lord Jesus. We speak about what God is doing in us. We speak about how God has changed our lives. We speak about the good things that God gives to us. You see, this isn't giving a well-prepared sermon. This isn't even prepared witness. This isn't even having a track on you at all time to give to someone. This is just freely sharing what Jesus has done in you and is doing now through you. What's hard though, I think sometimes, is that it's real easy to be drawn to people who speak like us, who look like us, who sound like us, who have the same interests as us, who vote for the same candidates as us. Those are the people in life that we are naturally drawn to, isn't it? And I want you to hear this. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, in Antioch, that's exactly what the believers first did. In verse 19, it says this. It says, they spoke the word to no one except Jews. Why? Because they were Jewish. They were looking for people who had the same background as them, who lived the same type of lives as them. But in verse 20, we saw that there were some of them who spoke to the Hellenists also. Well, who were the Hellenists? The Hellenists uh, were non-Jewish people who followed the customs of the Greeks. And so what we see here in Antioch is in fact that these ordinary, some of them followers of Jesus started the first ethnically mixed church in the history of churches. Last week, we read about Cornelius, right? And we've read about the Ethiopian eunuch and about how these non-Jewish followers of Jesus or how these non-Jewish people became followers of Jesus. But here we find the first instance in which there was intentionality to spread the gospel beyond people who looked like them, who had the same interest of them, who had the same background, as them. And so what I want to tell you is that the gospel, just like we learned last week, is for everyone. Do we treat, though, everyone like it is for them, right? It takes a certain level of intentionality to go and to be uncomfortable and to recognize that we can talk with anyone and everyone about what Jesus is doing through us. And so I want to encourage you, talk to anyone and everyone about Jesus, Talk to those who look like you, who sound like you, who live here in Lexington. Talk to those who don't look like you, who have different interests than you. Be willing to talk to anyone and everyone about Jesus because that's exactly what the church in Antioch did here. It might feel routine. It might feel ordinary in your day-to-day life to talk to everybody about Jesus, but God will still use it. And when we speak, we can do so with the confidence that the Lord is with us because that's what makes the difference. In verse 21 of, uh, of ver- excuse me, in verse 21 of chapter 11, it says that the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with these believers in Antioch. Now, this is a phrase used throughout the Old Testament to denote the power and the presence of the Lord with his people, to let people know that God's spirit was working through a certain person or people. And so you and I, when we go about speaking about what the Lord is doing, we do so with the promise and the confidence that the hand of the Lord is with us because it's the hand of the Lord that makes the difference. 
It's not up to you and I to save our neighbors, to save our friends, to save our relatives. God does that work. But what you and I is we join God in this mission and we speak and we tell of all the good things that the Lord is doing in this world. And so let this give you boldness in striking up conversations with anyone and everyone about what Jesus is doing. And so that's takeaway number one from this morning is we can all be some of them by taking the mission of God personally. And when we do, it should naturally lead into takeaway number two, which is this. Some of them left a gospel imprint on everyone they met. They left a gospel imprint on everyone they met. Uh, now, I've been told that I'm a little bit of an old school guy, what some people would call a hipster. Um, I like old things. Uh, I just enjoy it. I enjoy that kind of routine of life. And so one thing that I have uh, that I really enjoy using a lot is a wax seal. So if you receive a thank you note from me, I like to do a handwritten letter. I like to use this wax seal and I like to stamp that letter. And I believe we have a picture of what this would look like. And so mine, uh, for my last name, I uh, have the letter S on this wax seal. And so whatever I do is I take these wax uh, sticks that are hard wax, I get a candle, I light the candle, I start melting the wax, I put it on my envelope, and then I take this seal, and then I have to press it into that hot wax. And when I do, I leave it there for a little bit. And then whenever I lift up this wax seal, this wax stamp, what is left behind is an imprint of my stamp. It's an imprint of my stamp, and it leaves that S behind letting people know that this is Taylor who is sending you this letter. And so just like a stamp leaving its imprint on wax, you and I leave imprints on those we come in contact with. We leave an impression, or at least we should be. We should be leaving impressions on all we come in contact with because we have the opportunity to influence whether we recognize it or not. The question is, what kind of imprint are you leaving? What kind of imprint are you leaving? So notice the imprint that the church in Antioch is leaving. It says this, uh, they're just kind of like doing their thing, right? Here in Acts 11, they're taking the mission of God personally. And then in verse 22, it actually says that word of what they are doing in Antioch spreads 300 miles down the road to the church in Jerusalem. And the apostles in Jerusalem are like, whoa, what's going on over in Antioch? We should send Barnabas to go check this out. And so hundreds of miles away, the church in Antioch is leaving a gospel imprint. It's causing people to say, hey, uh, what's going on over there? What are those people doing? What's happening? They are making people ask questions. They're piquing people's curiosity of something's happening amongst these people, and I want to know what it is. And then it says in verse 23, when Barnabas shows up to Antioch, it says he saw the grace of God. He experienced what God was doing amongst this church. He marveled at this beautiful multi-ethnic display of God's people. It literally was like anything he had ever seen before. And so when he saw this, he naturally said, you know what? I got to go get my buddy Saul. I gotta go find him. I haven't seen him in about 10 years, but I gotta go find Saul and I gotta have him come and see what God is doing at this church in Antioch. Because when we leave gospel imprints, it piques people's curiosity. It's kind of like what Jesus said, right? Come and see. That's exactly what you and I should be doing because whenever we experience a gospel imprint from someone else or whenever we leave one, it should leave people saying, what is going on there? 
I want to be a part of this. Who is this person? But notice this. Not every gospel imprint left by the believers in Antioch was actually one of celebration and exhortation, like it was left on the church in Jerusalem and on Barnabas. In fact, their words and their action didn't cause everyone to love them. We see this by the fact that the believers in Antioch were actually the first believers to be called Christians. Wait, Taylor, hold the phone. Being a Christian is supposed to be something that's celebrated, right? What do you mean that it's not uh, an act of celebration, that it's not a badge of honor? Well, in fact, whenever these believers were first called Christians, it was a derogatory term. It was a term of derision. It was not a name they chose for themselves, but a name that was given to them by those who were not followers of Jesus. So the people in Antioch who did not follow Jesus said, the only way that we can describe these people is Christian, little Christ, those Jesus people, the followers of Jesus. They speak like him. They won't uh, shut up talking about him. They act like him. They are Christians. And whenever you took on this name of Christian, it led to a totally different way of life. It led to uh, social dislocation. It was not necessarily something that was easy, but it was something that was necessary because they left a gospel imprint on everyone that they uh, came in contact with. They wouldn't shut up about this Jesus guy who had changed their world. Whenever I lived in Chicago, I went to college there uh, back in the day. And whenever I lived in Chicago, my junior and senior year, there was this coffee shop in town called Intelligentsia. And it was my favorite coffee shop in all of Chicago. And so most Saturdays, what I would do is after lunch, I would uh, walk the mile or so to Old Town, go to Intelligentsia. And it just kind of started as this pattern and routine. Just kind of started as something that I would do because I really liked the vanilla latte. They had this really good cinnamon crunch old fashioned donut. I could normally get a seat by the window. And every once in a while, I'd have like a power plug. And then it was like, oh, best Saturday ever. This is the best place to work. And so whenever I would show up there and do this, I was like, okay, this is good. This is fun. And I began to, after I settled into this routine, began to think, what would it look like to actually be intentional about showing up at this coffee shop every Saturday? I've done it three or four Saturdays in a row. I like this place. The baristas are nice. They're competent. They don't get my order wrong. What would it look like if I just kept showing up here? And so that's what I just started doing. I said, I'm going to show up here every Saturday at lunch, and I'm just going to do it. This is going to be my spot. This is going to be my place. And as I began to do that, I began to meet the baristas. I can think of even some of their names now, Josh and Grant and Rebecca and Rose. And I just began to, to talk to them and say, hey, I like your tattoo. That's really cool. Could you tell me about that? Oh, that's awesome. Hey, my name's Taylor. What's your name? It just looked like asking them about their life, saying, hey, that's a cool shirt. You like that band? I've never heard of them. What kind of music do they play? And then as I began to show up week, and week, uh, week after week, it turned from this kind of casual invitation conversation, and it began to turn to, hey, how's your day going? What's going on in your life? How are, how are things at home? What, what's, what's work been like? Are there any, like, uh, any people here that like, really get on your nerves, right? It's kind of asking them about their day-to-day -day lives, seeing what's going on. And I wish that I could tell you that through building these relationships with these baristas, with these people who worked at Intelligentsia, that at some point it led to a really cool gospel conversation, that it led to them asking, hey, I know you're a follower of Jesus because you tell me that you go to a Christian school and I see you in here with your ginormous Christian books that you bring in for studying. Uh, can you tell me about Jesus? But that never happened. I wish that it would have. 
It never even led to them saying, hey, can you pray for me about this? I have this really hard thing. Can you pray for me? But I know that whenever I left, that it left a gospel imprint on them. Because as I said, the conversations got deeper and deeper. And it got to the point then where after I graduated and I came back about two months later, I walked in the door of Intelligentsia on one Saturday and lo and behold, Josh was there and Josh said, Taylor, he remembered my name. And he said, dude, what's up? Long time no see. How you been? And we talked for 10 minutes. And then he asked me, he said, hey, do you bike? And I said, do I bike? He's like, yeah, yeah, do you bike? And I was like, I guess. He's like, great, it's National Bike Day, so you get free drinks and a free donut this morning. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Josh, I appreciate it. I guess it's National Bike Day. And that was just his way of saying, hey, I appreciate you. You're meaningful to me. I enjoy the conversations that we've had over the past year or two. And so you and I, I want to then revisit this idea of a wax seal. Because I believe that in those just everyday, ordinary conversations, that what I was doing is I was leaving a gospel imprint. As I said, the conversation rarely turned to talking about Jesus or talking about church or talking about the things that I was learning in my Christian school classes. But they were still important conversations to be had. I was leaving a gospel imprint. I was building relationships, even in the routine of ordinary life. Because you see, gospel imprints don't have to be huge imprints. You don't have to leave a conversation with someone and them saying, oh my goodness, I'm now a follower of Jesus. If you have a conversation like that and you can steer a conversation in that direction, please do it. Those come uh, along, I feel like, so few and far between. So when you have the opportunity, turn the conversation to Jesus. Turn the conversation to the gospel. But know too that not every conversation is gonna be like that. Because what I believe that sometimes an easy step for you and I in conversations and in our interaction with others, a good gospel imprint that, that we can be leaving is actually gaining credibility for Christians. Because if we look at media, if we think about our culture, oftentimes Christians are not thought of as the nicest, most kind, humble, uh, soft-spoken people in our culture, right? That's normally not, uh, if you speak to someone who doesn't follow Jesus, their impression of what a Christian is like. And so when you and I, when we interact with others in our day-to-day -day routine lives, what we can do is we can gain credibility for Christians. We can gain credibility for Jesus, which then could open up the opportunity for us or for someone else to then have a gospel conversation. So think through your day-to-day -day routine with me, all right? You start your morning, you go by Starbucks, you're like me, you love your coffee. This time of year, you go and get a PSL. If you don't know what that means, ask your wife. And so you go, and then there, you can leave a gospel imprint. In a small way that I like to leave, a I heard an O over here. Someone got pumpkin spice latte, good for you. <laughs> a small way that I like to leave gospel imprints with people that I interact with maybe in a short kind of basis is, as I said, asking that question while my coffee's being made, while they're checking uh, out my groceries at Target. It's just asking, hey, how's your day going? And sometimes if you see that same person over and over again, how's your day going can turn to deeper and more meaningful conversations. But even just asking that simple question, how's your day going? I'll be honest, sometimes people like pour out their lives. Like it's one of those things where it's, uh, you're in the retail industry and people, you're just not used to people asking you about you. You're just used to people complaining or all those kind of things that even a simple question like that comes across as kind and uh, nice to them and it breaks up their rhythm. Or maybe think about this, maybe it's not in the day-to-day -day running to Target or Starbucks, maybe it's at uh, your child's t-ball game, right? 
Whenever you show up to this t-ball game, do parents and umpires alike groan that you are there of, oh my goodness, my day just got so much more difficult because I know that this parent's going to show up and I know they're going to scream and I know they're going to be obnoxious. That's not a very good imprint to be leaving, is it? It's not the greatest imprint. What would it look like for those people instead to be glad whenever you show up and you put your chair next to them? Leave a good gospel imprint. Or maybe uh, another simple question for you is, do you know your neighbor's names? This is something that I just moved a month ago and I don't know my neighbor's names yet. And I was thinking about that. I can't interact with my neighbors. I can't invite them over for dinner. I can't ask them when I'm taking out the trash, how their day is going. If I don't just know their names, maybe for some of you in the room, uh, leaving a gospel imprint starts by thinking, I need to know who my neighbors are because they're never gonna come to you in crisis. They're never gonna come to you when they need someone if they don't know who you are. Leave a gospel imprint by just getting to know people. Or maybe think about at work, right? Uh, and you go and you show up at the water cooler and Jerry's there again. And you're just like, hey, Jerry, how's it going? And then he just kind of talks about like the lame things that are going on at work. And you're just like, okay, thanks, Jerry. What would it look like instead to build a relationship with Jerry at the water cooler to where when something really hard is going on in his life, that he knows that you're a safe person for him to come to? that he knows that he can come and, and let you know about either something that's going on really hard at work or something that's going on even really hard at home. What would it, le- what would it look like to leave that kind of gospel imprint? Because I, I'll leave you with this is, uh, on gospel imprints is that it's beyond just being nice, right? But it's definitely not less than that. We can start there, right? That seems like an easy place to start is being intentionally nice in our everyday conversation. One way that uh, one of our pastors says that he likes to kind of leave a gospel imprint on people is that maybe whenever they do share something hard, whenever they do share how their day's going and it's not easy, he just simply uses the, the phrase, I'll pray for that. It's not asking, can I pray for that? He's letting them know, I'm gonna pray for that. It's a simple, sincere way to let them know that you care about them, that you're here for them, that you serve a God and that you are willing to, to go on their behalf to Jesus to pray about their concern. And maybe they'll ask, well, can you pray with me right now? Uh, He says that that's happened on many occasions whenever he's told people, I'll pray for that. And so we can all be some of them by leaving a gospel imprint on everyone we meet. And I think a big way that we see the church in Antioch leaving gospel imprints is actually our final takeaway. And this will be a really quick one. Takeaway number three is this. Some of them led the way in meeting the needs of others. In verse 29, it said, some of them sent relief to people in need. They heard about people, that there was gonna be a famine that was incoming and that these people were gonna need food. And so they decided we are going to send food to these people. In fact, this is a pattern throughout the book of Acts, right? We know that when the church was first founded that they uh, shared their possessions with one another, that uh, in actually Acts chapter two, four, five, and six, there are four different stories about the church sharing their goods, about them giving of their abundance to make sure that no one had need. And so what I want you to know then is that part of following Jesus, receiving his grace, receiving the free gift of salvation, receiving his love and his care and his devotion to us is it should compel us to give. Not just in words of the good things that Jesus is doing through us, that's definitely what we should be doing, but also in action. It should lead us to outflow from our abundance, to outflow of what we can give, to say, are are there any needs around me? Is there a way I can intentionally step up to care for those in my midst, to share 
my resources. And so whether you recognize it or not, what you are doing actually in giving is you are leaving a gospel impression and you're actually battling against something inside of you called consumerism that is around in our culture saying, life is about accumulating and getting and possessing as much as you can. I just moved a month ago and I was blown away by how much stuff that I had. I was like, holy cow, I am consumeristic. I own so much stuff. And it's like, what would it look like to give some of this away? And so things I was like, I'm not gonna use this anymore. I bought this on Amazon. It wasn't that great. I put it on a shelf. Someone else though, I bet would really use this. I just don't, I don't see it. And so it's like, what would it look like to give that away? To give away some of my clothes that are in my closet, to to give away uh, just different things that I didn't need. That could be being generous, meeting the needs of others. In fact, I'm actually blown away. And I wanna encourage you in this. I've been here for a year at Lexington and I am blown away by how generous you guys are. I mean, in your tithing, in your giving, you guys go above and beyond. You love the Lord tangibly through giving of your resources. Last month we had, right, the back to school drive and you guys took all of those envelopes and you came back the following two weeks full of backpacks with school supplies to be given to those within our community with needs. You guys really do a great job of this. I'm seriously, I'm blown away. I am so blown away. And so I wanna encourage you, keep being generous keep planning to give. Because I think a big thing that I've noticed in my life is that I need to budget to give. I need to start with budgeting and saying, okay, this is how much I'm giving now. Is there wiggle room for me to give more? Can I give more away of my resources, of my time, of my energy to meet the needs of others? And so maybe you don't give, or maybe you want to look at increasing your giving. Think about budgeting for it just like you would for anything else in your life. You've got to see what you have. You've got to see what you're going to get, and you've got to see what you can give towards it. I think uh, in a minute, we're going to have vision time. And and a quick thing that we're going to advertise is on October 15th, we are going to be sponsoring one of our Serve the City partners. We have uh, a fun run with Daybreak. And so this is, again, another opportunity that we are tangibly giving to you as our church to say, hey, would you guys step up? Uh, Whether that's running in this race, uh, if you're not the running type, you can give financially in this race. Somebody say amen. And so you can give towards it instead of running in it. And then that way you can support Daybreak, a local ministry that helps pregnant women uh, to have care and to have resources and to uh, be shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in closing, I want you to know that you can be some of them. You can take the mission of God personally. You can leave a gospel imprint on everyone you meet. You can lead the way in meeting the needs of others. And when you do, you're actually not just following the example of the church in Antioch. You're not just following the example of some of them, but you're in fact following the example of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one who took the mission of God personally, forgoing his own will to submit to that of his father, humbling himself to die on the cross to reconcile us to himself. Jesus Christ, who left gospel imprints on everyone he met, because even in his final moments upon the cross, a soldier looked up, witnessing his death and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Jesus Christ, who led the way in meeting the needs of others, dining with tax collectors and sinners, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, redeeming the shamed. You and I, we can be some of them. You and I, we can be Christians. We can be little Christs. We can be those Jesus people. You and I on our ball fields and the grocery stores and the office, 
Wherever we are in the midst of ordinary life and routine and pattern, you and I can be some of them. We can take God's mission personally. We can lead the way in meeting the needs of others. And we can make sure that everyone we come in contact with is left with a gospel imprint that Jesus is good and that he is at work and that we should join him in his cause. And so we embody the spirit of Christ because you are little Christ. You are Christians. Let's pray.